0: You know a lot of the people in our industry who have been in this industry for a long time right we kind of paint our own picture of why people are behaving their the way they're behaving and oftentimes you find that's a little bit different than what you thought
1: you're tuning in to the insure break podcast it's the podcast about the latest and greatest trends in insurance i'm your host ash and i invite you to join us as we interview experts and executives in insurance covering innovative practices technology advancements and insight into the future of insurance. This podcast is sponsored by Zellros. Zelros is an AI software solution for insurance to hyper-personalize the customer buying experience with insurance recommendations across all channels, boosting client acquisitions, cross-sell, and upsell. In this episode, we chat with Marissa Petriano, head of strategic initiatives at Remark Americas. In this conversation, we cover the global consumer study, The largest survey of insurance consumers worldwide. Make sure to stick around until the end to hear about how the study is conducted, the surprising findings from the study, and the conclusions of the study so far in the context of how insurance companies should be educating their consumers. We are joined today by Marissa Petriano, Head of Strategic Initiatives at Remark America, Remark is a global insurance consultancy helping insurers worldwide grow sustainably. Since 1984, they've reached over 1 billion people with data intelligence, marketing and technology solutions, and ran over 12,000 campaigns. Clients include over 500 insurers like MetLife, Legal & General, and more. Each year, they publish the largest survey of insurance consumers worldwide called the Global Insurance consumer study, relied upon by industry leaders to keep them informed on current trends. Marissa, thank you for being with us today. It's so great to have you.
0: I'm excited to be here as well. Thanks.
1: So to begin, can you give us uh, some insight into your background, maybe how you got into insurance?
0: I guess technically I'm still a little bit of a newbie. to insurance. I've only been working with Remark now for four years and it's my first role within insurance. Still a tremendous amount for me to learn. Uh, My background is a mix of Financial services within banking, uh, as well as CPG, which I think is has been a great mixture of experience to bring into insurance, especially since some of those industries are incredibly consumer focused. Uh, so, bringing that knowledge and that perspective in, into insurance, and you know, working with my clients to really put that customer perspective into our campaign strategies.
1: So, what what is your role now at Remark?
0: So, at Remark, I am the head of strategic initiatives. Kind of a mouthful. Sounds like a really big title. Uh, But my role primarily is to work with insurers, carriers, and our partners on digitalization, as well as adopting new technologies.
1: Could you give us an example of that, like for somebody who's like maybe not in the insurance space?
0: So, you know, a lot of our marketing tends to be, you know, traditional direct marketing. And there's an opportunity to expand into multi-channel, omni-channel strategies. So A lot of my role is educating the teams and partners on how they can efficiently, effectively bring in those digital channels into their marketing. Because The reality is within life insurance, uh, human touch, human interactions are still an incredibly important piece of that process, but there is a need to start to expand it to multiple channels. Consumers, they, they desire that multi-touch approach. It's proven that those strategies tend to perform better. But a lot of times it can be daunting to think about, well, how do I incorporate that into my existing programs? Or how do I create new programs that are leveraging these new technologies and digital channels?
1: The The big part of this conversation is going to be about the global consumer study. Even I was super curious to hear about, like, wow, I'm talking to somebody who's you know, super involved with the global global consumer study, you know, and this is something that's relied upon by leaders in the in the industry. So it's like, so cool that we're talking about literally the world of insurance right here. Maybe can you tell us a little bit more about the study, give us a little bit of background about the study when it started? Uh,
0: this is one of my favorite aspects of my job. I, I I take pride in the fact that Remark is willing to take the time the resources and the investment to do this study um, each year. This is our ninth year of publishing it. It typically is fielded in the spring and launched in the fall. And they do a fantastic job each year of incorporating new topics, but also having ongoing topics where we can see trends over time. Now, part of the reason why we do this is, you know, to support our carriers and partners across the industry. But also we leverage this knowledge to help us with our own strategies, right? You know, we're a marketing company, we're consumer facing, you know, what do consumers want? It's really important for us to stay on top of those trends. And then from a technology standpoint, being ahead of that demand, right? And we've used a lot of this knowledge in the study to determine our own tech strategy. Uh, you know, we've been around for 40 years, so we're, we're not new to the industry and like, you know, many of our, our partners in this industry have gone through the growing pains of digitalization. And this study has helped us determine where and when we should invest in new technologies. And we've done a great job of using this knowledge to really expand upon our digital um, technology skill set. And we've made great traction in building out technologies across the entire customer journey. And a lot of this is because of the GCS.
1: I'm just so curious, like, I guess, what what goes into that? How long does it take to do the whole study?
0: It's it's nearly a year-long process. You know, the beginning of the year is very much focused on determining the the themes, the topics, the questions. And these are sourced not only from our team at Remark, but also our parent company, SCORE, which is a reinsurer, uh, as well as our carrier partners. What does everyone want to know in this next study? So we go through that process of developing all the questions, formalizing the questionnaire. And this study is across 22 markets. So in addition to formulating the survey, you're also then dealing with translating that into all these different languages. um, Then working with our partner that does the panel and making sure that we're hitting the right number of respondents for each of those markets. Then taking the time to field it. And then when you get that data back, we're not just going to spit that data out. We're going to take the time to digest it and put it into something that's thoughtful and insightful for our partners. And that takes time. You know, when you look at data and you're pulling insights out, that's not an overnight process. So then we have that whole process. And then we have a fantastic internal creative team that turns those, those learnings and insights into a beautiful study visually, you know, with graphs and images, telling a story having, you know, tidbits of information so it's more digestible. And then lastly, which I think is the most exciting part, is publishing our Power BI dashboard. So this study is something that we allow anyone to access and play around with. Uh, The dashboard has all different filters you can apply. So you can do your own study within a study, which is great. So the fall, we launch it. Then we do a campaign. We do a lot of speaking engagements. And then the whole process restarts again, (laughs) in the beginning of the new year.
1: Aside from the obvious benefits of like, you know, it's, it's a global consumer study. It's getting all the eyeballs from the industry. What benefits have you seen that like from publishing the study, what, what benefits have you seen that are maybe not obvious?
0: I think a lot of times you go into some of these studies with assumptions, right? Assuming, you know, the behavior, especially for, you know, a lot of the people in our industry who have been in this industry for a long time, right? We kind of, paint our own picture of why people are behaving the way they're behaving. And oftentimes you find that it's a little bit different than what you thought. Um, And that's one of the things I'm going to touch on today when it comes to to literacy, because there's an interesting dynamic within that uh, that's been surprising to me around perception and reality. Uh, So just in general, consumer studies, the ability to uncover these things that you assumed and you learned are actually the opposite of what you thought, uh, which can be quite exciting too.
1: What are your findings about literacy in general? And I guess, would you say that policyholders in general have a good education about their insurance policy or not really?
0: So two years ago, we added a new uh, piece of our study focused on insurance literacy. Uh, and this, this part of the study not only covers insurance r- literacy, but it also touches just on financial literacy in general. That was intentional to have a benchmark. You know, there's there's been a lot of studies focused on financial literacy, but there haven't been many that really do a deep dive into insurance literacy, and then also getting further into the different pieces of insurance. You know, life and health versus um, property and casualty. So, as I mentioned, two years we added this into our study, and and the team did a fantastic job of incorporating this into it because they've taken it from. Two different perspectives, one being the policyholders or consumers' perspective on their their own literacy. You know how literate do they think they are? Right. So what do they perceive versus their actual measured literacy? So as part of it, there is a ten question quiz where we assess their literacy and. In looking at this, in general, I'd say globally, people have decent literacy. You know, where I mean, we're uh, I would say average. You know, out of a out of a ten, you know, globally we're rating at a six point two five. I guess some would say that's that's a failing score, but out of ten questions, getting about sixty percent of them sixty percent of them correct. Um, But what's interesting is that that score is a little bit different than their perception. And this varies by demographic group. So you know, when you look at the study from a market perspective, you know as I mentioned, there are 22 markets that we uh, conduct the study in, and we, we separate them into established versus growth markets. And in those markets, I don't think it's a, it's a big surprise that a lot of the growth markets are lagging a bit behind in terms of their literacy. In terms of insurance. But interestingly, they actually have a lot of confidence in their literacy despite that gap. So they, they're scoring lower, but they're saying, yeah, I, I know I know life insurance. I'm confident in my my knowledge. Whereas markets that have higher perception perceived um, excuse me, higher assessed scores actually are rating their perceived knowledge as lower. And you know, this is not scientific, but my perception on that is it's this philosophy of you don't know what you don't know. I, I think as you start to engage more with life insurance products, you may begin to realize how some of them can be quite complex. Whereas if you're someone that maybe is not purchasing or has never purchased a life insurance product, you may not realize the complexities there. And interestingly, we're also seeing a similar trend when it comes to generations. And, and demographics from that perspective, younger people are a bit more cocky about their their perceived knowledge. They're saying, "Yeah, I know these products." Whereas older generations that have much have much higher measured knowledge are scoring lower in terms of their confidence level in insurance. So that's, a, that's one of the most surprising aspects of this entire study of this, this perceived knowledge versus assessed knowledge. And, and oftentimes, that also correlates with your experience within these products, right? Older generations are a bit more experienced, whereas younger people aren't. Now, you say, all right, we have this. It's great. You know, there's a gap there. Well, how do we take action, right? And I think another important piece of this is the desire for education. and. You know, positively across the board, even if they are really overly confident in their knowledge, there is a desire out there for education, uh, which is great for our industry.
1: Is there a way to quantify that? Like, so, for example, you know, the average score is like 6.25. What's the average perceived like or on average, like, for example, people perceive to be 30 percent more than they are. You know what I mean?
0: So globally, as I mentioned, uh, the average literacy score is a 6.25. Now, the part where with perceived knowledge is measured a little bit different. We ask them to rate their knowledge, um, very good, good versus some or no knowledge. And globally, we're seeing within life and health, uh, 56.3% are stating that they have very good to good knowledge. So it's you know, a little over 50%. Whereas, you know, looking at different generational groups, this is where you start to see some of these interesting differences, you know, Gen Z and millennials are having, you know, stating that 64% of them are confident, you know, they're very good, good knowledge. Whereas you look at boomers and the silent generation, much more experienced in this space, their confidence level is 44.6%. So big gap between the generations there.
1: Very interesting. Very interesting. Now, do you think people are actually interested to know more about their insurance policies?
0: Yes. You know, one of the best takeaways from this aspect of the study is the desire for education. And uh, in general, uh, nearly 70 percent of those surveyed said they felt like they could use some additional education. And you see, once again, there's generational um, market differences. You know, uh, younger generations are even more interested. Nearly 80% of them are desiring more education. And that's even more so in growth markets. Just in growth markets in general, 82% of them say, hey, I want to learn. I want to learn more. And we've done a good job of also digging a little bit further into, okay, so you say you want education. Well, well, how do you want to be educated? And the results of this piece I find interesting as well, because I think it mirrors a lot of what's happening in life insurance in general. And we're seeing a desire for both human interaction and digital interaction. So the leading um, channel for learning is taking an online course. And that's about 27% of the people say, I want to learn online, deliver that course. Whereas about 24% of them are wanting a one-to-one call with someone. So those two worlds still exist and are still incredibly important for policyholders or consumers in general. And, you know, what's interesting as well is looking at younger generations, you assume, you know, younger generations always want just digital, right? And even within those populations, they are desiring that one-to-one human interaction as well. So that trend is consistent across the the various age groups.
1: You would agree that then like you would advise insurance companies to not only have like a digital presence, like maybe they have like videos, you know, teaching people and educating people or podcasts, but also have that one-to-one as well. So like insurance companies should be teaching in all different forms. Agreed, yes.
0: Yes. Insurance uh, carriers should consider both digital tools, as well as equipping their team to have these discussions. And quite honestly, from a business perspective, those conversations are the opportunity to sell and, and enhance that relationship with a consumer. So that demand is there, that desire to learn and grow is there. You know, we just need to prepare the team to be able to support that, right? And give them the tools as well.
1: If you can concisely put it, like what would you, like obviously you work directly with policyholders. What would be how are you helping them implement the education strategy? Like what would be like a you know quick four or five step like this is how you should be educating you know your customers?
0: Yeah, in terms of implementing a education strategy, I don't think it needs to be terribly overly complex, right? I, I think first and foremost transparency and clarity in just our normal a customer journey, that's step one, right? I, I think there's a lot of things in our industry that, that can become difficult to follow. Uh, and I, I think just simply just being very clear in how we communicate, uh, explaining the process to them, walking through all that, that's step one in education. And there are benefits across the board to just doing that, adding transparency and, and knowledge within that. And then the second phase is, you know, once you've, you've perfected that piece and you want to start to dig into education, I think taking the time to invest in tools is is incredibly important. People learn in different ways. So, you know, as we mentioned, the one-to-one conversation, so making sure your, your policyholder-facing team is equipped and ready to have those discussions and can simplify these discussions. I think simplicity is very important. And then also providing a series of tools, once again, that can help simplify things and bring insurance products to reality, right? You know, how does this apply to my life? And that's something that Remark, uh, we've also been exploring a lot in insurance gap calculators, personalized video, even like, because a lot of times too, and I think this is why that one-to-one discussion is important for people. It's like, you can educate me, but... I don't think that really relates to me. That's that's not what I want. Whereas if you have some of these tools that can customize the knowledge and experience unique to that person, I think it's even more beneficial. But that's definitely further down. You know, if you're working on entering into education, I think start with simplicity and then work your way into these tools uh, to help them.
1: That makes sense. Everybody wants a personalized, tailored experience. I think that makes sense.
0: <laughs> even in education, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We always ask each speaker about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Maybe what are your thoughts on the space? And if you have a personal story to share about DEI, it would be great.
0: So when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, I'd say Remark, you know, we're a global company. Um, we're in a lot of markets. So naturally, because of that, we're, we're very diverse. And our leadership team has done a fantastic job of, of making sure that that continues to be the case. Uh, So, you know, my day-to-day world, I'm I'm working with a very diverse global team. The reason why it's important, naturally, of course, to be more inclusive, but also from a business perspective is, you know, when you're trying to serve a diverse consumer base, it's important to have teammates that understand diversity and come from different backgrounds. Otherwise, you're creating products. It's It's natural to have this bias from your own world. In your own perspective and having a more diverse team, I believe better positions you to create a more diverse product set, a better equipped customer journey, because you're getting the perspectives from a variety of backgrounds versus just one, you know, generic background that doesn't fit the world, right?
1: If you could go back 20 years, what advice would you give your younger self?
0: What advice would I give myself? So that was, that was the beginning of my career. It's interesting. So, so last, last year I, I had the opportunity to go to South by Southwest and I remember looking at all the different uh, speakers I could attend and, you know, you look at the topics and, and sometimes you just have this natural feeling of like, well, I don't really need to attend that topic because I already am knowledgeable in that space. And I remember going to one of the speakers and it was actually about learning and explaining how the bias of, I already know everything really can get in the way of you learning, right? Because you kind of close yourself off. So, you know, if I go back 20 years, you know, obviously at the very beginning of my career, I didn't really know anything. And I kind of knew that I didn't know anything, but as you gain more and more experience, you do develop this, this perception of like, oh, I've already learned this, you know, and, you and the advice I give is just always remain open-minded, never assume, because there could be things that you truly don't know, and if you're not open to it, you're missing opportunities to learn.
1: I love how you close that off. And it's just like, I feel like it's the this is the theme of the podcast. It's just like, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, you don't
0: know what you don't know. Yeah. <laughs>
1: This podcast is sponsored by Zellros. Zellros is an AI software solution for insurance to hyper-personalize the customer buying experience with insurance recommendations across all channels, boosting client acquisitions, cross-sell and upsell. Thank you for tuning in to the Insurebreak podcast. Join us next month as we interview another insurance executive to gain insight on innovative practices, technology advancements, and what the future of the industry looks like. See you next month.